Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast featuring lead pastor Doug Sherman. For more information about Grace Harvest Church, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you as Pastor Doug shares this week's message. We've been on a series called Vistas for about two and a half months, and Vistas is a, a biblical overview of the entire story of God. So we started in the book of Genesis, we're going to end in the Revelation, and we're not covering every book and every chapter and every verse, but we're giving kind of a big picture story, a highlight film. Am I going in and out? Okay. Okay. So... Uh, Anyway, today we're going to talk about the prophets. We're going to get into these mysterious figures in the Bible called the prophets, and we're going to look at this section of Scripture in the Old Testament that we know as the major and the minor prophets. Um, The message is basically the prophets turn back to God, and we're going to look at the overall heart that God put in these mouthpieces of His that we call prophets. But before we do that, I want to review where we've been, just so you can know if you're not a part of our congregation, especially, you can kind of get a picture as to where we've been. Um, We've learned that God created a beautiful universe and a paradise called Eden, but humanity chose death and we fell into decay and corruption. We learned that God revealed his plan and he called that plan the promise. And that promise came through his son Abraham, his son Isaac, and his son Jacob. And Jacob had 12 sons. And that, those 12 sons became 12 tribes called Israel. And then they went into Egypt, and they were enslaved for 400 years. And then they cried out to God to come out of their slavery. And he continued his plan and rescued them through Moses and what we call the Exodus. We also learned that that people then turned into a kingdom, and they had kings And those kings turn their backs from God, and that's the story of the whole scripture. God rescues, God redeems, God restores. We turn our back and go our own way. God pleads and chases and comes after us, and the pattern is repeated over and over. We turn to him, we repent, and then we begin to wonder, and that's what we see all through the scripture. We learn that it's not good for us to put our trust in human kings or queens because they always let us down ultimately and that only King Jesus will ultimately fulfill the desires of our heart. We also found out, as Noah shared last week, and I thought he did a masterful job. How about you? Those of you that were here, didn't he do a great job sharing on wisdom literature, right? The Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, the Song of Songs. He talked about the book of Job last week, and he did a great job of showing us the heartbeat of God through Job. And this week I want to talk about the prophets and their message, which was to forsake sin, and the false gods of our ages, and turn back to the living and the true God. So to set me up today, before I actually get into the text of Scripture that I'm going to be sharing, and the several texts of Scripture I'm going to share, I want to show you a video, and this is a video put out by the Bible Project. I've been sharing these videos for several weeks, and it's on the prophets, so tune your eyes and your ears into the video that's going to be appear on the screen. Ezekiel. Obadiah, Habakkuk, what do these names have in common? Well, they're three of the 15 prophets that have their own books in the Bible. And if you've tried to read these books, odds are you got lost in their dense poetry and strange imagery. But these books are super important for understanding the overall biblical story. So let's talk about how to read the prophets. When I hear the word prophet, 
I think of a fortune teller, someone who predicts the future. That's what being a prophet means in many cultures, but not in the Bible. While the biblical prophets sometimes speak about the future, they're way more than fortune tellers. How should I think about them? Well, they were Israelites who had a radical encounter with God's presence, and then were commissioned to go and speak on God's behalf. Like a representative. Right, and the thing that they cared about the most is the mutual partnership that existed between God and the Israelites. Right, the partnership. God rescued Israel from slavery in Egypt and invited them to become a nation of justice and generosity that would represent his character to the nations. And so this partnership required all Israelites to give their trust and allegiance to their God alone. In the Bible, this partnership's called the covenant. But the leaders, the priests, the kings led Israel astray and they broke the covenant. And so this is where the prophets came in, to remind Israel of their role in the partnership. And they did this in three ways. First, they were constantly accusing Israel for violating the terms of the covenant. The charges usually include idolatry, alliances with other nations and their gods, and allowing injustice towards the poor. Ah, so like covenant lawyers. Right. And so second, the prophets called the Israelites to repent, which means simply to turn around. They spoke of God's mercy to forgive them if they would just confess and change their ways. But Israel and its leaders didn't change. Things went from bad to worse. And so that brings us to the third way the prophets emphasized the covenant. They announced the consequences for breaking it, which they called the day of the Lord. Oh yeah, the apocalypse, visions of the end of the world. Well, sort of. The prophets were mostly interested in how God would bring his justice on Israel's corruption and on the violent nations around them. And while explaining these local events, they often used cosmic imagery. Cosmic imagery? Yeah, like Jeremiah. He described the exile of the Israelites to Babylon as the undoing of creation itself. The land dissolves into chaos and disorder, no light, no animals or people. Or Isaiah described the downfall of Babylon as the disintegration of the cosmos, stars falling from the sky, the sun going dark. For the prophets, when God acts in human history to bring justice, it's a day of the Lord. So the prophets aren't talking about the end of the world. Well, hold on. They're doing many things at once. The cosmic imagery shows how these important events of their day fit into the bigger story of God's mission to bring down every corrupt and violent nation once and for all. The prophets cared about the present and the future, and the cosmic imagery allowed them to talk about both at the same time. Got it. So no matter when you live, the day of the Lord's bad news if you're part of Babylon. But it's good news if you're waiting for God's kingdom. The day of the Lord pointed to the return of the exiles to Jerusalem. And once again, the prophets use cosmic poetry to describe it. They see a new Jerusalem, like a new Garden of Eden, with all humanity living at peace with each other and with the animals. And there's a new messianic king who restores God's kingdom in a renewed creation. Beautiful. So those are the three themes in the prophets. These prophets must have been very powerful, persuasive speakers. Well, some were, but others lived on the margins. They would often perform strange symbolic stunts in public to communicate their message. Like when Ezekiel lay in the dirt and built a model of Jerusalem being attacked by Babylon. Or when Isaiah walked around naked for three years as a symbol of the humiliation of exile. So did people pay attention to them? Not really. The stories in these books show how the prophets were a minority group mostly shunned by Israel's leaders. And their writings were a kind of resistance literature. Most people ignored them, that is, until their warnings came true in the Babylonian exile. And after that, people began to take their words seriously. Yes. The works of these earlier prophets were inherited by later unnamed prophets who studied these texts intensely. They're the ones who arranged the Hebrew scriptures as we know them, including the books of the prophets. Okay. 
And there's 15 books of the prophets. The big three are Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then there's a collection of 12 smaller prophetic works unified on a single scroll. And in each of these books, you'll read stories about the prophets and their poems and visions, all arranged to show the cosmic meaning of Israel's history. How God would turn their tragic story of failure and exile into a story of hope and restoration for all nations. And it's that twin message of prophetic warning and of hope that the prophets cared about so much. And it's a message that we still need to hear today. Good stuff, huh? So to launch into my message, I'd like you to do something with me that we don't do a lot around here, and that is read the Scripture out loud together. So I'm going to put a text up here on the screen, Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, and I'm going to ask you to get your lungs ready, and let's read the Scripture together. Isaiah 55, 6 through 9, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Amen. My big idea today in the message, if you're taking notes, and this will be on the screen, is that the prophets call people to turn from their sin and their false gods to the true and living God who revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. So if we really want to know ultimately what the message of the prophets was and where they were going throughout the scripture, they were always calling people away from their sin, to turn around, to get away from false, powerless gods who had no power to deliver them, and to turn to the true and the living God, not a dead idol, but the true and the living God who revealed himself most clearly to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so as we get into that today, I want you to notice in the text I'm going to share and the overall message I'm going to share, I want you to notice this idea of turn away from the bad stuff that ruins and destroys and turn to God. Because that's where we're all at throughout our lives Throughout our entire journey with God, and even if you're not yet a follower of Christ, I want to tell you, God's message is to you, turn away. Turn away from the vain stuff that will never deliver, that will never satisfy, and turn to the living God who alone can. So before I get into the prophets, I want you to understand that in ancient Israel, there were three main offices or roles that existed culturally. The first was, of course, kings. Israel had kings, and those kings were representatives of civil government and authority. They were kind of like God's authority from heaven on earth at the state level. They represented the state. And then there were priests. Priests were God's representatives and mediators between him and his people. They taught God's law and his commandments, and they offered sacrifices and offerings to God on behalf of the people. They represented the people. So the priests were kind of like this bridge 
between God and humanity. And they went to God on behalf of the people, and then they came to the people on behalf of God with the law and the commandments. They said, this is the way God wants us to live. But the prophets, they were God's representatives to speak to kings, priests, and the people of what God is saying and what his heart feels about them and what they're doing and then how to come back to him. They were the voice and the heart of God to his people. And that's really important for us to understand because a lot of times when you read the books of the prophets in the Bible, you can be like, that's weird. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But when you see the underlying message is they're pleading all the time from the heart of God, the lover, the husband, the father, the friend who has a people who continually wonder from him, they are pleading, come back to me, come back to me. Those things are vain and empty, and God is the spring of living water that will satisfy your deepest desires. Now, he already covered which books of the Bible are considered the prophets, so I'm going to skip that part in my notes, but I want to continue to just talk for a minute with you about what the prophets of the Bible did. And here's some thoughts for you if you're taking notes. What was their role? What did they do? Well, first of all, the prophets reminded people of what God said and did in the past. So they weren't just always talking about the future. They were reminding people. They were continually telling people to remember. Remember the past. Remember your history with God the things that he did for you. Remember the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the times that he delivered you out of Pharaoh's power and out of Egypt's power. He, they, they continually reminded the people of the covenant that they had with God contained in the law and the commandments. They continually reminded the people of the blessings that came from following God and his laws and the curses that came when they did not. Secondly, they declared to people what God is saying and doing in the present. Prophets declare the current mind and the heart of God about the current situation and conditions of his people. So a prophet doesn't just tell you what's to come. A prophet addresses the now. A prophet addresses what is happening in the present time with God's perspective. Thirdly, prophets declared to people what God is saying and will do in the future. Prophets declared God's judgment upon the nations and upon his own people. If they didn't turn away from their sin and false worship, the prophets often said, okay, you got some bad stuff coming. Foreign countries, foreign enemies are going to come in and invade your land, and you're going to suffer if you don't turn away from your sin. They also declared God's restoration that would come one day when the Messiah came and restored all of humanity. They also revealed to people who God is and what he's like. Some of the clearest pictures in the Bible of God's character and nature came through prophets who had had personal encounters with God that were dramatic and intense. They often saw visions, heard the audible voice of God, and were caught up into heaven and saw God's throne. 
Isaiah, in the sixth chapter of Isaiah, describes this scene where he's caught up before the throne of God and he sees these six-winged angels, these seraphim. And it says, with two wings they covered their eyes, with two wings they flew, and with two wings they covered their feet. And as they did this, they sang out continually before God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. So he actually got to see that. How many of you think that'd be pretty cool? Let me tell you how it affected him. He fell on his face, struck with his own sinfulness, and then God took a coal, had one of the angels take a coal off the altar in heaven and brought it down and, and touched his lips and told him he was now clean from his own impurity. That would be pretty dramatic. If you don't think so, you're dead. Think about that. They also reveal to people who they are and what they are to become. You know, the prophets of the Bible were always reminding the people of Israel about their own story and identity. Because Israel, like us, often forgot who they were and what God had in mind for them. When they lost their identity, they forgot who God was and they worshiped false gods. You see this with the wilderness wanderings over and over. They say, we want to go back to Egypt. They forgot that in Egypt they were slaves. All they could think about was having a full tummy and not eating manna again. And so because of that, they actually began to desire slavery because the only way they ever knew themselves was as a slave. And yet we do the same thing. Think about it. Many times we want to go back to things in our life that destroyed us. We're drawn by those things that, that brought bondage to us, that destroyed our relationships, that hurt us. Those sins, those addictions, we want to go back to them. And pr the prophetic voice of God comes to us and says, that's not who you are, this is who you are. And he reminds us of our identity. Prophets also call people who have turned from God to turn back to him. That's the overriding message that we see from the prophets in the Bible. Return to God. It's the overwhelming message over and over. Turn from your sin. Quit breaking my laws and commandments and turn back to me because I created you, I love you, and I redeem you. And then lastly, prophets reveal to people who Jesus is and what he's done to rescue us. You know, the prophets were the ones that kind of opened the veil, pulled back the veil for humanity and said, there's one that's coming. There's one that's coming, and he's unlike anyone that's ever lived before, and he's the fulfillment of every promise and every dream and every hope, and they gave us a glimpse into, they gave their people a glimpse into the future that was to come under the reign of the Messiah, the rescuer, Jesus Christ. So that's what prophets did. That's what they were anointed by God today to do. But today, what I'd like to do is I want to take one of those books of the prophets, and that is the prophet Isaiah, and I want to share with you some texts from Isaiah because Isaiah is an amazing book. Isaiah was a prophet that lived about 700 years before Jesus Christ. Hear that? So 2,700 years ago. And he was alive during a time of great difficulty in Israel. He was a prophet of doom and gloom and a prophet of restoration and hope. He was an advisor to kings, and yet he was bold to say to those kings when they were continuing to do the wrong thing, Stop it. God's going to judge you. So he was an amazing man. And what I like about Isaiah is Isaiah is like a mini Bible in and of itself and like 
a gospel. Some scholars call the book of Isaiah the Old Testament gospel because there's no other Old Testament book that has so many references about the coming of Jesus. There's no other book that shows us the kingdom under the reign of Jesus like Isaiah, even though it was written 700 years before. And here's a little bit of trivia for you. Maybe you'll find this interesting. I always do. The Bible has 66 books. 39 of them are Old Testament. 27 are New Testament. The Old Testament is mostly about the laws and the covenants of God with his nation Israel. The New Testament is about the reign of Jesus coming to save the world and bring all nations to him, right? And restore all of creation. So that's the Old and the New Covenant. Here's what's interesting about Isaiah. Isaiah has 66 chapters. The Bible has 69, 66 books. Isaiah has 66 chapters. 39 of those chapters are about judgment and God's dealings through his covenants and the breaking of the covenants. And the next 27 chapters are about God rescuing the people out of their exile and then restoring all of creation through his suffering servant, Messiah. So the book of Isaiah is like a mini Bible. And what's interesting is in chapter 1, it captures the fall of humanity with the nation of Israel. And in the very last two chapters, 65 and 66, it captures God recreating all of creation and bringing a new heavens and a new earth. So just in the same way Genesis tells us about the fall and sin of God's children turning from him, so, uh, so Isaiah in the first chapter talks about that. And then as the book of Revelation talks about a new heavens and a new earth coming to restore everything, Isaiah ends with a new heavens and a new earth and God restoring everything. So Isaiah is this beautiful picture. It's like a gospel. It tells us about Jesus. Did you know that there are over 330 Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Jesus that described in detail every, every part of his life, his birth, his sinless life, his death on a cross, his resurrection, his ascension. It's all in the Old Testament prophets. And many of those prophecies are in the book of Isaiah, and they're detailed. So Isaiah was really, really an amazing prophet, and it's an amazing book. And I want to look at his message today and break it down into four main sections. So um, stay with me because I'm moving quick and talking fast. How many of you recognize that? It's a good thing I had me some coffee. All right. My first point from the book of Isaiah is going to be taken from a reading in Isaiah chapter 1. And here's my first point. God judged his people and the nations of the world because they broke his law and his commandments. We see that all through chapters 1 through 39. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 2 through 17 and, excuse me, 2 through 7, and 21 through 23. Look at this with me. It's going to be up on the screen. But look at what Isaiah says. Listen, O heavens. This is God speaking through him. Pay attention, earth. This is what the Lord says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. That's Genesis chapter 1. Heaven and earth, children have rebelled. Genesis chapter 1 through 3, I should say. Even an ox knows its owner. And a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are. Loaded down with a burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected the Lord. They've despised the Holy One of Israel and they've turned their backs on Him. Why do you continue to invite punishment? Must you rebel forever? 
Your head is injured and your heart is sick. You are battered from head to foot, covered with bruises, welts, and infected wounds without any soothing ointments or bandages. Your country lies in ruins and your towns are burned. Foreigners plunder your fields before your eyes and destroy everything they see. Verse 21, see how Jerusalem, once so faithful, has become a prostitute. Once the home of justice and righteousness, she's now filled with murderers. Once like pure silver, you now have become like worthless slag. Once so pure, you are now like watered-down wine. Your leaders are rebels, the companions of thieves. All of them love bribes and demand payoffs, but they refuse to defend the cause of orphans or fight for the rights of widows. So Isaiah is the voice of God to a people who are the covenant people of God, who have this special relationship with God, and yet they have turned their back on God. And they're doing evil in their streets. The scripture goes to show us that later Israel went so far as to sacrifice their own children to foreign deities. Can you imagine that? Child sacrifice. This is what was happening. God sent the prophets to say, this is what you are. This is my charge, even as we heard uh, in the video. This is my accusation. I bring my charges. I build my case against you. You are doing evil to one another. You worship false gods. You, you commit murder. You, you, know, you deprive the widow and the orphan. I have these charges against you. And this is what's going to happen. Your cities are going to be destroyed because of it. It's heartbreaking. And then the second point, if you're taking notes, In the middle of that, God comforts his people even when they're captive because of their own sin. So later, Isaiah prophesies a day is coming when your your people are going to be taken into captivity, into Babylon and Assyria. And while they're taken captive, I'm going to visit them. Even when they're experiencing the fruit of their own way, experiencing judgment because of their own sin, yet I'm going to comfort them and I'm going to love them in spite of it. And in chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, it says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and the hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. I love how dramatic that text is. So here are these people, they're in captivity, and in their captivity, God's word is comfort. God's word is make a way, I'm coming to you. Your sad days are over, your sin is paid for, I'm going to fix what's broken, I'm coming to you. And it's beautiful, we we see the story, and I'm going to individualize it here, but there was a great preacher in the 1800s named Charles Haddon Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, and He was one of the first what you might call megachurch pastors. He preached in London to crowds of thousands. And he's describing how when he was a teenager, at age 15, he came to faith in Christ. And I think it's interesting when you hear his testimony. Listen to what he says. I was years and years upon the brink of hell. I mean in my own feeling. 
I was unhappy. I was despondent. I was despairing. I dreamed of hell. My life was full of sorrow and wretchedness, believing that I was lost. That, those are the words he used in his adolescent years. Despite his Christian upbringing, he was christened as an infant and raised in a congregational church. And his own efforts, he read the Bible every day and he prayed every day. Spurgeon woke one January Sunday in 1850 with a deep sense of his need for salvation. Because of a snowstorm, the 15-year-old's path to church was diverted down a side street. For shelter, he ducked into a primitive Methodist chapel on Artillery Street. An unknown substitute lay preacher stood up from the pulpit and read his text for the day. His text was Isaiah 45, 22. Isaiah, an Old Testament book. He read that text, and this is what it says. Look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. So here's Spurgeon, 15 years old, tormented with fear of hell, wondering about the state of his own soul, and yet he was a good religious boy, read his Bible and prayed every day, and a snowstorm diverts him from going to church, and he ducks into a little primitive Methodist church, and here's this lay person who gets up and he reads this text from the book of Isaiah, and that text from Isaiah comes down like a lightning bolt and strikes the heart of Spurgeon, and Spurgeon turns to faith in Jesus Christ and goes on to be one of the greatest preachers of the modern era, the gospel of Isaiah. I love it. So right in the midst of his captivity, right in the midst of him feeling depressed, God came to him with the comforting gospel message from the book of Isaiah and rescued him. And that takes me to my third point. God sent his suffering servant, and this is what Isaiah tells us, to be our savior and die to atone for our sins. In Isaiah chapters 49 through 55, over and over we hear about this figure called the servant. And then it culminates in the 53rd chapter with this servant being this one who would suffer for the sake of his people. Now, let me stop here. You still with me? Let me me share something with you. This is really powerful. This, again, was written 700 years before Christ. Let's make that clear. So 700 years before Jesus of Nazareth is crucified on a Roman cross beaten with a whip called a cat of nine tails, spit upon, mocked, made fun of, crucified, buried in a rich man's borrowed tomb, and then rises from the dead and ascends to the Father and sends his Holy Spirit. 700 years before that, we read this in Isaiah. Look what it says. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4. Yet yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. That's what it said. That's that's what they said about him. He was being crucified for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Verse 10. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life 
is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Can I stop you for a minute? How many of you in this room would say Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? He's forgiving you and you're, you're a child of God. Okay, keep your hand up. Now take your hand and just put it right here and say descendant, child, family. I'm one of Jesus' descendants. So here we are, 2,700 years ago, the prophet Isaiah prophesied about you and about me. We're the family of God. Think about it. Let's continue here. Uh, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, yeah, like eternal, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier, because he exposed himself to death, he was counted among the rebels, he bore the sins of many, and interceded for rebels. So here we see a picture of Jesus clearly in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah, that he would be the servant who would come and suffer and take the sins of his people upon himself, and through that he would make them righteous. That's exactly what Paul tells us in Romans. That's the gospel. Okay, my last point. You still with me? I'm going to finish up right here. And the last point, and we see this at the end of Isaiah, and that is that God restores his people. He restores Israel. He restores all of creation through this servant and his servants to come. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 65, just like the last two chapters of Revelation, we see in the last two chapters of Isaiah, the restoration of creation. Look at Isaiah 65, 17 through 25. I'm reading again in the New Living Translation. It says, look. Are you looking? Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. And no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad. Rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Many believe this is speaking of what is known as the millennial reign or the millennial kingdom. And uh, so I'll continue there just so you know the context. Uh, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people. And the sound of weeping and crying will be heard in it no more. No longer will babies die when only a few days old. No longer will adults die before they've lived a full life. No longer will people be considered old at 100. Only the cursed will die that young. In those days, people will live in the houses they build and eat the fruit of their own vineyards. Unlike the past, invaders will not take their houses and confiscate their vineyards for my people will live as long as trees and my chosen ones will have time to enjoy their hard-won gains they will not work in vain and their children will not be doomed to misfortune for they are a people blessed by the Lord and their children too will be blessed I will answer them before they even call to me while they are still talking about their needs I will go ahead and answer their prayers the wolf and the lamb will feed together the lion will eat hay like a cow I want to see that. That'll be weird, huh? But the snakes will eat dust. Hear the symbolism, the metaphor there? They should eat dust. In those days, no, no one will be hurt or destroyed on my holy mountain. I, the Lord, have spoken. So it's all, yeah, amen. 
So it's all come around. You see the process. It starts with my people have turned their backs on me and they're eating the fruit of their own way. But then in their exile, I comfort them, right? And then I send a suffering servant who takes their sin and dies for them to restore them. And when it's all said and done at the end, I'll restore all of creation and there will be a new heavens and a new earth and injustice will be done no more and no more will there be suffering or pain or sorrow or wars or death or we'll never go to another funeral again. Praise the Lord. It'll be restored. This is what the prophets did. This is the overall idea behind the prophetic ministry. It calls us to account for our sin and tells us to repent and stop doing that stuff, but it always ends with restoration. God is a restoring God, and he restores through his son, Jesus Christ. He's the God who makes right what's wrong, straight what's crooked. He takes and reverses the curse, and he brings all of creation back into divine order with himself because he's good He's kind, he's just, and he's the redeemer. Amen. Praise the Lord. So my big idea I started with was prophets call people to turn from their sin and their false gods to the true and living God who revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Why don't you stand?